I'm Scott McGowan, and this is Point Blank, where we close in on the ideas and stories that shape PLNU. Point Blank is sponsored by the PLNU Associated Student Body, so if you are a current student, the show is brought to you by you. On today's inaugural episode, we are going to be talking about intergenerational change on Point Loma's campus over the years. And with a special twist, our guests not only bring an intergenerational bent to this conversation, but they also bring a bit of an intercultural one as well. So without further ado, our guests today to talk about this are George Williamson, the PLNU Director of Worship Arts. He's a songwriter. He's a teacher in theology and the music department on campus. He's a mentor. He leads uh, worship all over the world. We think he's been, he's done worship sessions on six continents. We're, we're still verifying that. Um, he's a husband and father of three kids, which also means he's going to be joining the ranks of all of the unqualified homeschool teachers out there for this uh, <laughs> pandemic year. Uh, and with him is the venerable Tim Hall. Uh, Tim came to Point Loma uh, first as a soccer coach. Uh, he did that for 20 years while he was also assistant chaplain and was actually uh, Milton Carahadian before Milton was Milton, and he had that role. Uh, he now teaches full-time in the schools of uh, psychology and kinesiology. Uh, he has a doctorate of education. He's a mentor to so many students over the years, uh, including to me in many ways when I was a student. Uh, he has been married 35 years, just had his 35th wedding anniversary yesterday, uh, has three kids and two wonderful grandkids. Guys, so wonderful to have you here. Welcome. Thanks, Scott. It's great Thanks, to be Scott. here. It's good to be with George, too. Uh, so you guys kind of know each other a little bit. Is that true? Yes. For sure, some history there, yeah. In fact, um, let me see. Uh, I uh, got to know Tim um, when I was a student at Point Loma because he's quite considerably older than me. <laughs> and wiser. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't tell sitting here looking at the two of you, but yeah. And then in, a, in a, an interesting twist, got to know Tim's mom and dad. And um, just uh, I didn't have any grandparents. Uh, they'd all passed away when I was a really little kid. So um, Tim's mom and dad came out to Maui where I got married to my wife and uh, we kind of stood in as grandparents and did the opening prayer at my wedding. So definitely, uh, yeah, uh, we've, we've, we've grown close over the years. Very close, yeah, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Well, I just gave you guys intro. We talked about the uh, wonderful ways you are um, working vocationally in your lives to build the kingdom of God in your time and, um, and to do that humbly. And I'm curious, you know, I started in my intro with kind of really when you came to PLNU, but very curious about everything before that. So how did you end up at Point Loma Nazarene University? And uh, George jumped in before, Tim, so I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, I'm in. Up. I'll do it. So I... I Grew up in Africa as a missionary's kid for four, first 14 years of my life. So I was, in, I was adopted, and then in four months later, I was in South Central Africa as a missionary's kid. Not much choice of, of my own there, but it was, turned out to be an incredible 14 years. Um, still with me deeply today. Um, that's a long time ago. And I was, I was raised in a different culture um, than where I was born. And so I was raised in right in the throes of apartheid and segregation and my family was there to um, work 
with the African people. And so I, I grew up um, learning about humanity and the value of humanity um, in, a, in an environment where humanity wasn't overly valued in many ways. And so it's, that's impacted me deeply even to this day. And so I find that to be a, a very um, fortunate place to grow up. It was a beautiful place. African people are beautiful. Um, so anyway, it was just an incredible time. I still have friends from there now, and we've taken the soccer teams out there five different times since I've worked here, and Dr. Brower's gone with us a few times, and just to go back, take the kids, the Point Loma kids. So then I moved back to the States to go to high school, um, and I was always planning to go to Loma. That was, uh, that was our church school. I was a Nazarene missionary kid, um, and so I, I was deeply involved in soccer, it's all I knew. And so when I came back to the States, didn't have to come to Loma to play soccer. There was other schools to go to, but I wanted to come here. And so came here to play and uh, spent my four years here. And, you know, without getting into detail, this is where I met my wife, uh, Tracy, of 35 years yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you. And um, uh, we moved on after this place and uh, did some grad school, pastored a church, did some things, and then and Where then was that? Where did you pastor? I pastored up in Riverside County oh, for cool. nine years. Um, wow, I had no idea. Yeah, started that church when I was just turned 25, so I didn't know, have the faintest idea what I was doing, but <laughs> I, I just knew that if you love people, maybe they'll forgive you a little bit. So Wait, but at 22, you're supposed to know everything about how your life's going to go. You're saying <laughs> you was 25 and you still <laughs> yeah, didn't know? That's what? right. I tell my students I'm still undeclared, <laughs> <laughs> or now they call it open major. But So we, we ultimately... Uh, Worked with Point Loma, came back to work here to coach, as you said, and gave that introduction. And so that's how we got back here. And then my kids, uh, they ended up going here and, and uh, graduating from here. Um, I recruited my daughter-in-law. I didn't know she was going to be my daughter-in-law. I recruited her to play soccer when I was coaching the women, and she ended up marrying my son, who played for me. And so there's some, some great ties at Loma. And so here we are. I've been here now. I'm going into my 24th year of working here. And uh, so it's... It's been a long, sto- a long journey to get here, but it's it's been incredible. So. so you recruited your son. That was probably a good move. Yeah, he grew up he grew up around the game, and uh, so he turned out to be a very good player. And uh, so I enjoyed having it. You know, sometimes the father son coaching relationship is a struggle, mm-hmm. but because I think of his kind of man he is, it worked. Because because I I'm kind of a knucklehead sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great great experience. And then um, recruiting. Uh, my daughter-in-law, Callie, who went on a mission trip with me to Brazil, and that's where she rededicated her life uh, to the Lord. And when she came back, uh, my son and her started dating, and she's now the mother of my grandchildren. And so it's a it's a story you can't make up. Yeah, you know you can't plan. It's just incredible story. Wow. So very cool. Yeah. So it's great to be alone. I love this place. Yeah. This is really home for you. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm blessed to be here. Loma owes me nothing. Hmm. I'm in debt to this place, hmm. and I'm thankful to be here. Hmm. Thanks, Tim. We're glad you're here, too. Uh, George, mm-hmm. um, how do you follow that? Uh, how, how, how did you end up um, here? I think your first day was as a soccer player and student on this campus. So it what was, brought you yeah. to that moment at 18? Yeah. Um, uh, Family and background, and born in Scotland, and then grew up various places around the UK. And uh, Point Loma actually got on my radar. One of my siblings, my uh, older sister, 
Ruth had uh, taken a gap year before she went to university and uh, North America, USA was one of the stops on her kind of round the world tour. And she visited Point Loma's campus and came back uh, from that year. I was a year behind her in school and said she'd seen this little school, Point Loma Nazarene College at the time, and she'd like to go there for a year and kind of take an extra gap year before she did her accounting degree. And um, she met her future husband a couple of weeks after that, so she never ended up going. And always says that I stole her dream. It was her idea. <laughs> but you did. <laughs> but yeah. I, I had no clue coming out of high school. Just no, I had a place for uh, a couple of places for university in the UK uh, in majors that I thought might be interested in. I think one was to study literature and one was uh, law and administration. And uh, I just didn't know what I was doing with my life. And uh, I thought taking uh, an extra year would be helpful living in the... <clears throat> excuse me, living in the U.S. would be a dream just to experience a different culture. Had come on holiday a lot growing up to the U.S. And then was particularly interested in it being kind of a Christian environment. Had grown up in a Christian home, but um, was definitely the the hardest kid to parent, uh, my mom would quickly say, and uh, really needed some some help, some guidance, and was pretty sure a place like Point Loma might be able to help me explore some of my faith and, and how that attached to who I wanted to be in my in life and who I was called to be. So uh, Point Loma came on my radar, came and played uh, soccer here. Um, my, my intent was to come for one year and uh, really quickly fell in love with this place. I chose music as a major because I thought it would be fun and easy <laughs> and uh, and would help me in my dating life when I moved back to the UK. <laughs> and uh, a year turned into, you know, uh, a full degree here. Hmm. And so, yeah, that's how I ended up in the States and also how, how I ended up at Point Loma and uh, was so glad to come back after about six years gone from Point Loma to be able to get to come back on staff in spiritual development and start getting plugged in with worship arts, uh, which is just the deep passion of my heart. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we all see that. Um, what happened in those six years? <clears throat> those six years, or um, did we do, that's, we do, we do not talk about that. Sure, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh no, talk about it. Um, I mean, I, uh, those six years, I I was pursuing commercial real estate for money. I was dabbling in worship leading. I I didn't really do that until I graduated. Maybe started my senior year a little bit. And um, uh, and then doing some some studio work and some recording, teaching piano lessons, just whatever you could to to try your hand at a bunch of things, and uh, more and more being in the in the local church up there, which I was just doing as a volunteer, just wanted to play on a team. Uh, I'd I'd never really given back um, to the church. I'd always uh, consumed it um, for my own benefit and enrichment and just felt at that time it's really time to give back with the gifts God's given me and that quickly turned into you know um, someone asking if I'd maybe have a, a stab at leading one Sunday and with fear and trembling and also excitement stepped into that and that just became more and more uh, a passion of my life I started I know when I think about vocation I even just think about describing it as when when your love for something and your skill at doing it are both kind of growing together 
uh, and I felt that, you know, really was enjoying it um, and uh, felt, felt I had some kind of knack for it. And now looking back, I'm able to see, um, I think, um, the leading of, of God in my life in that area. So, awesome. yeah, so that's how I ended up at Point Loma. Oh, I love the speech on vocation, too. I, I wish you would have saved that to the end right before I introduced that Rebecca Smith is our next guest so <laughs> that she can, that would be a perfect segue into, into next <laughs> week's episode as well. But, um, but you also mentioned moving around Britain a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're born in Scotland. I, I mean, I know you're Scottish, uh, and I think most people can guess at that. Uh, but where in Scotland were you? And then how born did in you Glasgow. Okay. Um, so uh, kind of the the grimy working class part of, of Scotland, big industrial revolution town, and um, not as not as posh as Edinburgh. <laughs> and then moved from um, down to Bristol uh, on the southwest England, and then moved again. Always following my dad's job, you know, as a family, uh, wherever his job took him, and then was where. Uh, w- was in North London uh, when when I moved out to Point Loma. So that was from London. And then my sophomore year, my family all moved back up to Perth, Scotland, uh, the gateway to the Highlands. Oh, yeah. And um, that's, where I, that's where the majority of my family is up there. So that's where I make my trips home as often as possible. So you get to go back to a pretty awesome I do. place. I love to go back. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> so you've been to, you said you've, you, or we, we think, we think you've, probably led worship on mm. as many as six continents mm. is there any jury's out is there any countryside of any country in the world that you can compare to scotland or does that top it for you oh i don't know i mean uh it's my yeah, number scotland, one that's why there's I a there's a there's a, a a gaelic word hiraith which i often thought about it was actually a chapel speaker that introduced me to it um he was from wales and uh there's no great way to uh describe it in a, in a word, it's one of those words that needs kind of like there's a sentiment behind it, but it means uh, it talks about like a homesickness in your bones, mm, uh, a, yeah. a sense of like deep belonging somewhere. And when when I go back, though I didn't spend my whole life, I mean, more than half my life has been in the U.S. I do feel a sense of like belonging in my bones when I'm walking around um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. the woods and the hills and by the rivers with my family over in Scotland. So, and next to that, I mean, Maui's pretty special. Okay. That's, that's okay. My yeah. in-laws, my in-laws <laughs> yeah. are Maui people. So. Well, you, you get two very different climates there, so you get to pick the best mm-hmm. from both. Sounds like you resonate with that too, Tim, with, with Africa. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Africa. Yeah. definitely is every time we've gone back, I feel home, like I'm at home. And honestly, if, if, uh, my home's here because this is where my wife and kids are. But if, if I wouldn't um, have gone that route in the past, I probably would have been in back in Africa, um, you know, to live, to work. But, but my first calling has always been my mm-hmm. wife and my kids. And so, but yeah, there's a definite, uh, you know, what's that word again? Hiraith. Yeah, that longingness is, it's, but it's it's a it's a healthy thing. It's not like an unhealthy thing. It's just such a beautiful thing that that place has touched my life and continues yeah. on. Yeah, and then Maui. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been I've been to Maui, but hey, I'll jump in and say you know on behalf of San Diego, I have Hiraith for Scotland, and I love the island of Maui, but um, I have no desire to live in either place, Scott. <laughs> Point Loma is a, I mean, gosh. Point Loma is 
That's yeah. And you you've lived in Point Loma for I, I, years I, um, my whole time in America has been in San Diego. I lived up in North County. That's where the church I was involved in. And then when, when my wife was in grad school, um, we'd been long distance engaged for two years. She was in Boston downtown, and uh, we got married. And it felt like a pretty good idea to live with my wife for the first year of marriage. <laughs> so so I moved to downtown Boston, and do love that town too. Yeah, yeah. you know. You make anywhere your home. Yeah, if absolutely. You love people. Yeah. But Point Loma's, Point Loma's uh, the place now. Yeah. You. Well, yeah. Grateful. Awesome. Um, well, uh, I, I'd like to, to really double click on that moment we just brought you to, which is those, those first days on campus um, to get in this conversation about how you first came in contact with PLNU culture, the student culture in particular. Um, how the students, you know, interact and what things they care about and, and um, how, they, how they develop a sense of belonging and what they belong to here. Um, yeah, try, if you can, imagine that and, and tell me about that. Maybe tell me about the next, what was the next two hours of your life like after you stepped foot on this campus and what did you, what did you see? What did you hear? What did you smell? Can you remember that moment? I, th I think I think I, I think it's back to George on the spot here. Yeah, I came to visit, you know, uh, in April, right before my freshman year started. So, um, you know, uh, Point Loma hadn't reached their cap, and so it was kind of open arms of come one, come all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think uh, you know if you applied a week before school started. Um, and, uh, and you had a few bucks. You're a decent fit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the the doors were wide Heart, open. Heartbeat in a checkbook. Yeah, yeah. And you're um, in. <laughs> you know. Uh, so I I came in April. I I came to um, get down on the soccer field and see if I could try out for a, a soccer scholarship. The part I particularly remember is you know we we would have driven on campus. I don't remember passing the welcome center really, and uh, and we kept going straight past where the zip cars are now um, and down towards Young Hall. And that's the bit I remember because it gets really steep as it bends around the corner. So I remember the, the steep bend. And then as you come around that corner and you just see the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> and that's, that stands out in my mind so, so powerfully. I mean, it, it, and it felt, um, one, it's like absolutely beautiful and stunning view. But I think there was something in me as well um, that with excitement and um, fear, mm. you know, that nervous excitement, I felt this is a place where I think might be the next chapter of my life. You know, I just had that, that sense as I drove on there, something of, a, of a, a confirmation and a giddiness as I drove around that corner. So really remember that um, really clearly, that view. And, and, you know, drove down to Young Hall and no, no offense to the, the north side of campus, but as an international student, when I came, they put me in, um, I think it was Finch, because it was, um, you know, for a bit more mature students. <laughs> and they figured a European <laughs> was just a bit more mature, <laughs> you know. And uh, Tim, Tim just gave me a knowing look for all those <laughs> listeners out there. And, you know, for the three months leading up to that, I just kept in my mind being like, Young Hall, Young Hall, I want to be right down next to the water. So, you know, two days into, it was school hadn't even started. We were there for soccer training camp, you know, two weeks ahead of school starting. And I quickly asked 
you know, um, I think it was admissions. I, I, it was the guy I, I knew in admissions. I was like, is there any way I could be in Young Hall? And I think he kind of scratched his head like, you want to be, I mean, it's a long walk, you know. And I thought, I'll take the walk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm here for a year and I want to be as close to the water as possible. So, so yeah, so I, d I do remember driving on this campus and just the spectacular beauty, but also a sense within me that this was a, this was a place for me. And then when you, so, so you mentioned you're on the soccer team and as you started to interact with, uh, probably there were some upper class, I assume, some upperclassmen on that team, some students that were already embedded in the Portland culture. What were some things you noticed about like, oh, this is what it means to be a student here from those, those initial interactions? Yeah, I mean, I was totally intimidated coming. Uh, you know, when I finally was dropped off by my dad, we're not, uh, you know, Brits aren't super um, demonstrative in their affection or emotion. And, um, you know, my dad and I kind of hugged each other and both started fighting back the tears. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> you know, but it was a moment and I went down and I felt, I felt so alone being on the other side of the world, didn't know anybody and walked down on that field with, you know, a bunch of guys who all had their shirts off, hot, you know, all in great shape, kicking the ball around. And I, I felt Hot as in it was warm outside. It was, yeah. It yeah, was, okay. It was, yeah, it was, yes, it was very warm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, went down uh, and just, you know, all these, uh, remember, I remember one guy had a Jesus fish tattoo on his lower back. Our joke always was that, you know, in 10, 20 years, that'll be a Jesus whale on his lower <laughs> back. Um but uh, and found really quickly this you know group of guys that were friendly, warm, fun, and uh, so I mean within a couple of days here on campus, I felt really enfolded into um, a small community within a larger community. So yeah, but so friend, friendly, warm, fun, you know, was the the intro kind of sense of what it was. Yeah, are like. yeah, and you know. Uh, did notice, and maybe I'll even pause here and be like, you might want to cut this out, Alex, or whatever, but I yeah. um, uh, knew as well that a lot of these guys, um, a lot of them didn't have really a strong faith background, which was surprising to me. I just presumed in my mind that everybody who came to Point Loma uh, was, you know, so phenomenally more committed than I was as a Christian and was looking for that. And um, uh, a lot of the kind of upperclassmen, some of our captains, they were really good role models, um, strong in their faith, strong in their integrity. But most of us um, were really rough around the edges. And uh, um, yeah, I do, I do remember that. Okay, yeah, no, that's, that's real, that's good. Um, what was your class of George Williamson class of? I was supposed to be uh, 98. Okay. Is that what year yeah, I was yeah, graduating? Yeah, I was supposed yeah, to be class of 98. I um, thought I graduated in 99. <laughs> Turns out I had still one more thing left to do. So technically I'm class 2004. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so 10-year ten, ten bachelor's degree. <laughs> yeah. So we almost overlapped then in our... <laughs> Point Lama career. <laughs> that's that's I, I, that's fun to know. I uh, I wrapped. Uh, I, gra I graduated uh, <laughs> a month before I got married. Technically, yeah. okay, <laughs> interesting. So, but cohort of '98. Yes. And okay, good. Um, so Tim, cohort yes. of 
I came in 80. Okay, so cohort of 84. Yep. Yep. So we're going to jump back 15 years. Uh -huh. I'm curious your, your take on that. What was your first experience like at Point Loma? So very similar to George's. Uh, come back, like I'd said, come back from Africa and was pretty steeped in playing soccer. And so I was, uh, America was just getting ready to play soccer at that time. And so I had a pretty successful high school stint as a student and um, got a scholarship to play. And so for me at that point in time, soccer was pretty much it. Um, and But I also was pretty serious about my faith, you know. And uh, um, when I came to Point Loma, I do remember uh, the smells and the breezes. I still smell those today. Mm -hmm. and, it, yeah. and it brings back beautiful, it's like a beautiful aroma, and it goes deeper than just, you know, your senses. Um, but I, I remember coming and meeting the soccer players, and I, like George, I thought every one of them were going to be like on fire for Jesus, and I was like the only one that was. <laughs> so I walked into a hornet's nest, yeah. and um, I was good enough to steal a starting spot from a senior, yeah, which didn't help, yeah. didn't, didn't help me much. Um, so I was, I was kind of unwelcomed, but was welcomed by, by the coach because I never came out of the game. I just played, and I played hard, and so I... It was just, it was just um, the soccer world of it was just learning to survive and play hard and not quit and let your, let your play do the talking cliche, so to speak. And then over a period of time, these guys um, started to open the door for me a little bit, and I became uh, very close to them, and I am to this day, um, you know, all these years later. And to see how um, God's worked in their lives um, over the years, and in my life and to where we are now is grandparents and how we love the Lord and serving him. So it's it's been quite a journey. But being here for the first time, I, I wasn't much of desiring to be a student. Um, I just knew that I needed to maintain a certain level of eligibility to play, which isn't that excruciating to do. And so for me, pretty much everything was soccer. And then I was I was really drawn to the faith dynamic of this place. Uh, faculty members. Um, one of the reasons I love being back here is for the people, the, the faculty members that put their arms around my neck. Hmm. And sometimes it wasn't always in a hug. It was like, I'm squeezing you because you need, a, you need to step up. And Dr. Art Siemens was one. Dr. Leon Kugler, yeah. um, who just retired just recently. Retired. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, my, he was my soccer coach when I first came. And um, probably next to my dad and my Uncle Don, who just recently passed, uh, he's probably the most one of the most influential men in my life. And so, coming, you know, coming on to campus, those are the things that stick out in my mind the most. Uh, and then I, I fell in love with this place, and I had a ball. And when the student body came on, because we were there early for soccer, and when the student body got here and started to get more immersed in the culture of the the campus, I knew I was in the right place. Yeah. And and really, this is the place where I can honestly say that. I made my faith my own. Hmm. You know, I teach the students in my class and we talk about there's no such thing as a good hand-me-down faith or religion. Um, take what's been given to you and build on it hmm. if it's worthy to be built on. Sometimes it's not. Uh, but for me, it was this is where it became uh, evident to me that I was going to serve the Lord regardless. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, was, it wasn't that easy all the time. It was some, some little bit of journey through the first couple, three years, but... This is this is where it was. This is where it really happened for me. Yeah. So, 
Well, that's an interesting point you make about remaking your own faith, <clears throat> and that that does tie into even what we're getting at today of those those different those potential differences and then similarities in the culture at Point Loma over the many generations that have walked this campus, and that each generation also is engaging its faith in new ways and developing it and making it um, making it relevant in its own in ways that are powerful and that are building the kingdom. Um, so I think that's, that's even as let far me, as far back it. as the class of '84 that that's yeah, that yeah. that's <laughs> that's going yeah. on. Yeah, Jesus existed then, you know. But just real quick, don't, don't want to interrupt you. But when George is talking about my dad, uh, my dad passed when he was in his 80s, and he was a he was a very progressive type guy in faith. He he, uh, you know, f- sometimes the older the elderly they get a stereotypical well they're just not coming along with the times and there's there's some truth to that but there's some that are just like on cutting edge still and my dad right before he passed away told me working here at Loma he said Tim just remember that every generation of student at that place has a right to worship God in the way they see fit Mm. as long as they do it in spirit and in truth wow I don't always know what that fully means in spirit and in truth but his his message to me was allow them to be them in their faith and let them fly. Yeah. And boy, that was that was a massive thing in my ear and then sunk into my mind and my heart um, for for uh, what it's like to be working here. Yeah. You know? So Okay, well that's that's right on. Well, let's let's um, let's talk a little bit about how you then saw that begin yeah. to shift as you came on to staff, George, you came on to staff. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tim. What did you What did you start to know? I mean, you came on to staff, and you had um, this little Scottish punk George Williamson on your <laughs> on your soccer team. And if you think about that, that that first first years and your yeah. your that class or that that um, yeah. that era of student, um, what did you notice that might be different in the spirit and truth of that age? I there are differences, but I, I do see a lot of similarities. Okay. You know, you know, humanity stays the same um, in so in so many humanity. Uh, let me say this correctly: we're always human, whatever generation we come from, and so there's human things that manifest themselves there. Um, I I came to work with a soccer team, and I'd heard that there was a reputation of this group of guys that I needed to come in and stir up a little bit. And uh, great guys, though. I mean, I'm still in touch with some of them to this day. You know, and this is where George and I first met. I remember for me personally, it was the top of the gym. You were walking across the back of the gym by the um, by um, the Martin Luther King Memorial podium right there. And we talked and that was the start of a of a very I would call it a, a beautifully and intimate relationship with George over the years. He never did actually play soccer for me. Mm-hmm. I always tell him I would have cut him, because <laughs> not because not because of his ability, but because of his attitude. Oh, because you were teaching the women. I'm just you were kidding, George. The women. <laughs> no, I just I did two seasons, and uh, it's for for another podcast. But um, I mean, I was in such a bad place in life. Just really uh, um, had made a lot of errors, made a lot of mess of my own life and other people around me. And so the the end of the the road for me, almost the end of the road for me as a student at Point Loma, was my first semester sophomore year, and Tim came my second semester when I was in like a tremendous kind of rebirth, you know, a really um, like a phenomenal season of new growth and walking in humility and for the first time 
um, trying to have integrity and, you know, character. And so Tim met me in that time and it just felt like, it felt that um, my season as a soccer player for me, um, I was, there was something different for me this next year. Yeah. Um, I asked George to stay. I wanted him to stay on the team. We, we talked about that because I knew he'd played for the team. So I was trying to re revisit who the squad was, who I was going to bring in this different, we're in transition. And I remember George saying that in that moment when he was, um, what he just said in a new season, heading into a new season for himself, saying I need to go move on basically. And I fully respected that even though I was bummed that um, I wanted all the guys to stay. Because for me, it was an opportunity to to love them and mm -hmm. crack them in the head if I had to, <laughs> but but just try to see if we can salvage, yeah. you know. And so um, you do some of that work you were talking about those theology yeah. professors doing with you. I think I had, yeah. I had one. It was a campus pastor theology professor who would say that if I kept it up, he was going to drop kick me in the name of Jesus. Yeah, and I think that's what you're <laughs> what you're talking about here. Yeah. So it was a very interesting first couple of years. I was I, I went after those guys really hard, and I just knew I had to set a tone that would either have them quit or stay. And but but that's that's it. Long story short, it turned out to be very. Uh, it was a beautiful thing. And so the differences, you know, you talk about these students. Um, there's some strong similarities, but um, they 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 all come in. What I see, everybody comes in with a story and a history, which doesn't change. So the similarities for me um, resonate maybe more than the differences, just because those those similarities they still have story, and in those stories is you see some of the differences that that are that arise, and then you can start working poignantly with them. But it's hard for me to just blanket any major difference. Um, but as far as um, you know, obviously the technological concepts of the way that's changed generational thinking and activity so but I, I just remember students back then when I when I was uh, an athlete and as first as a coach here in a, st a student development uh, person that the, the same joy of working with these students is still there because they're still people with a story and it doesn't matter where they're from or what their story is they're at Loma for the right reasons to me and um, so I, I I'd rather look at it from that standpoint without disrespecting those differences that I think are there because you get into those as you work with them. But uh, so that, that that's some very strong similarities to me yeah. that I think I'd probably rather just land on. Is there, is there a connection between that you see between then those stories and something specifically that's, that's very point, like very unique about this place that also all those stories are folded into God's story on this campus? Yes, um, you know, obviously Loma is unapologetically a faith-based school. And so I, I do talk to students often about, you know, I'm not assuming just because there's a, a cross overlooking the water and a Christian flag hanging up in here that when you pull by that guard shack that you're into Jesus. I, I'm not assuming that. And I imagine there's many who aren't. I imagine there are a lot who do come for that. There's a Judeo-Christian background and whatnot. But, um, but that doesn't matter to me. If you've been accepted here you're supposed to be here and I, I get students talking to me about you know the different terminology of agnosticism and being an atheist and I'm disgruntled and you get the whole gamut and that to me is a is a beautiful place to dive in because 
you get to work one-on-one with these students. And um, so, um, yeah, the, the, the story's individual. It unpacks, and then you go from there. And so I don't, I try not to come at it from, okay, this is a, a new generation of student. I have, to, I have to engage them this way. No, they're human beings with a story. When the story comes out, then you start to understand where to engage. And that's kind of been what it is for me uh, over, the, over the years. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, thanks, Tim. George, I'm curious, as, we, as, as Tim came on in, in uh, 94, Came to work here in yeah, 94, 94, yeah. Six, I'm sorry, sorry 96. 96. Yeah, and 96. then I, I think you started in 05 because it was my freshman mm-hmm. year, or 405 maybe? Yep. So you were my first. Start of 05. Mm-hmm. Yeah, start of 05. Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe you, yeah, so you would have been my, my sophomore year. You closed out the Pitts era? Yeah, Pitts, Pitts brought me. Yep. Yeah, I started August 05. Yeah, mm-hmm. for all those who, who are newcomers of Point Lenoir, we our chaplain, Michael Pitts, was very dear. Uh, and George followed followed him. Um, I was on that hiring committee. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> so you got him back one way or the other. I said, we don't want George. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I got to work with Dr. Pitts for a year as at Point Lenoir. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then Dr. Paul came mm-hmm. right right then, same time. And Dr. Smith. Uh, so you were coming back after six years to maybe what seemed like a whole new kind of student or new batch of student uh, that I was a part of and therefore totally unfamiliar with myself from my own internal perspective. What, what did you notice about these students? Yeah, you know, I'd stayed in, I'd stayed in touch uh, between in my six-year gap. I uh, stayed in touch with Point Miami. I was living in San Diego in North County, but had a... A brother who came from the UK kind of followed me out here and did his. So he was a student at Loma, and then I had a little sister came, um, and uh, she was probably when I started here. I think she was a junior. So you know, um, uh, and you know, you graduate, and um, uh, you those those first few years go really quickly, and you. When I came to work at Point Loma, I felt kind of. I definitely, uh, I felt older than the students, but I felt really still like we're the same. Um, but I noticed some differences for sure. I mean, just even on the, the kind of uh, campus culture, I think um, uh, that was always, it, it felt that that was a little bit more muted when I came to work here. Um, it, uh, it felt like it was it was school first and then We'll have a fun and a social life uh, as well, but we got to get our work done first. And I think when I was a student, it was like we'll get to the work once we finished everything else. Um, so I, I noticed that academically uh, uh, pretty pretty early on. That's kind of scary because for me, being here at that time, I looked <laughs> at like my older sister went to Syracuse that was pretty pretty academically rigorous, and I'm thinking, man, this place is like summer camp compared to that. But you're saying it was actually even more rigorous. <laughs> All right. I mean, you are speaking to a guy that took 10 years to get a bachelor's, so maybe it was just me. <laughs> well, let me let me add to what George is saying there, because I, you know, you talk about differences. There is a different level of stress the student now carries because of academic production and having to do well comparatively to 
you know, in the years past, mm-hmm. especially when I was in school and coming up when I first, but just the stress to do well, almost the perfectionism that I think goes a lot deeper into other types of issues. Um, highly intelligent students, um, but yet, but the, but the stress level because of academic uh, growth has added, I think, quite a bit to the yeah. pressure to the student body. So that time you're talking about, uh, come to find out, this was this batch of, of humans that we call millennials now, um, and that I guess I am one of, um, they keep telling me. But, uh, but yeah, so then, and then Tim, you're saying even then continuing on into then, because the, you started to see that really just those same factors kind of intensify. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and then as I had said earlier with the addition of technology and just the different levels of information at their fingertips and, and what's required from them in the classroom and the GPA, as George said, to get in here now comparatively back in when I was in school. Like I said, it was a heartbeat and a checkbook and I was in, you know. And But these, these students have worked to get here and now they have to stay and they have desires to get into, you know, Point Loma is known a lot for its sciences and so a lot of these students are in all majors, you know, you've got to work, but some of these to get into the next level of grad school or medical school or nursing or uh, whatever, it's, there's a lot of pressure and yeah. to do well. So it's interesting you're pointing out this, uh, this, um, this shift and that that was in many ways at the heart of it dictated by our pop cap, by our population cap on campus. So that's an interesting bit that actually that restraint, um, ended up in the long run having this drastic cultural impact to where our students' minds were at, what they found valuable, how they organized their time. Just that one, um, that one community restraint we have on our, on our campus here. Um, there's, a, there's actually another one I'm curious, uh, your take on this. You said you started in Finch, then you moved to Young, George. Um, I was in Finch for two days. Two days. Okay. Yeah. So long enough to know. Long enough to know. Young was where. Finch where is wonderful. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Um, <laughs> Tim, where were where were you? Well, I was in Young because Young was an all boys freshman dorm. It was at a year time. Even in my time, Young was an all all male, mostly freshman dorm. Hendrix was freshman. Finch was. It was a zoo. Finch was a uh, uh, mil- uh, sophomore, junior, female dorm when I was a student. Um, and it was it was viewed as more of an academic the side north of the side campus. Was more academic. Yeah. And the south side was yeah. the fun zone. Young Hall used to be just get the freshman boys as far yeah, away from campus as possible. Run, run wild down there. Because only yeah. God knows what's going to happen. <laughs> so, campus. so in between <laughs> your two young experiences, Young was co-ed when I was a student. Really, and not freshman. Only freshman. Only freshman. Only freshman and co-ed. Co-ed. Wow, I had no uh-huh. idea. And then I was up to Hendrix, yeah. which was just males. Only freshmen and freshmen, yeah. males. Um, no, yeah. uh, only one wing of freshmen. Huh. So it was all sophomores, juniors, seniors. And then from there up to Flex for my senior year. So that's that's a piece I'm interested in, having that those um, that segmentation. Have you, did you, have you noticed over the years any impact from that where now we are, we are far more integrated uh, gender-wise? Um, have you noticed that have an impact on our, on our student culture at all? Yeah, I have. Um, I want to be cautious on how I say this just because I think, um, you know, part of it's because the school, as George is saying, and you, Scott, that the cap creates different, you know, um, scenarios. Uh, the enrollment for females is, I think it's 60-40 here. So, you, you know, you can't have empty beds. So you have to integrate the dorms, and I, and I 
but I've I've seen students back in back when I was in school. I felt like, and I'll just say it. I felt like we were a little more punitive in our rules of of how you have to live your life to be mm. in. Um, and I feel like now there's more of a trust in a person's ability to say, I love God and this is where I'm going to flesh it out as opposed to me trying to tell them how I think they should flesh yeah, it so out. So you saw that gender segregation as more of the, the imposition of a particular lifestyle choice that the university was hoping students were. And in those days it yeah. was appropriate. It was, it was common, the common thing. Um, but in sometimes my our, my generation was like, well, you know, we're, you know, and we had open dorm like one time a quarter, <laughs> and it was from five p.m. to ten p.m. I think it was once a week, but yeah, <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> if you, maybe once a year, I don't know, Scott. You never went, obviously. I, yeah, no, no, no. I was that. <laughs> but I just feel like one of the things I love about working in this environment now is. There's, there's, it's more realistic of how you integrate with people, and for for some reason, I mean, we're not perfect. Nobody is. Portland is not a perfect school, nor is anybody that attends here. But I just, I like that the fact that the students have some ability to live their lives with some freedom of mm. choice, even though we may not always make the right choices. I just feel like people are healthier and more apt to get there if they're given mm. some space. Yeah. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, did you have any any sense of that, George? I mean, you, you it sounds like you were here in a an odd in between phase. I had no idea even existed where we were kind yeah. of integrating a little bit. You know, bit I, I've, I've, I'm I think that's really uh, as Tim describes that. I find that kind of insightful narrative for me of what I've noticed. Yeah, because that that would have been a hard um, it would have been hard for me to kind of equate that to um, you know even some of the way of, of the dorms being structured some of the outcomes of that but yeah i i hope what you've just described is the case of of our community is this this trust and this space um uh to to allow people as you mentioned your dad say uh to worship god as they see fit as long as it's in spirit and truth you know this kind of um not just anything goes just do whatever but a place of um we trust your uh, your um, intentions and and your maturity, and we we're here to walk alongside you in in that discovery and those questions and those doubts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 I find Point Loma students the ones I I love getting to immerse with the students, especially the freshmen right now that come in. Um, and you sit down and you talk to them about what you're bringing up here, Scott. And they, like I said, none of nobody's perfect, and it's not always a hundred percent. But I mean, isn't that part of growth to come and have some space to make a decision where I fail? But yet, there's somebody to walk alongside me, as George is saying, to help me work through that. And and I appreciate Point Loma now at this stage where there's more of an app to work with the student. Now, Loma's also going to say, okay, that's too much. You need to take a break from us and then come back. Now, that's fair with that. I'm fair. But I think Point Loma's a lot more leaning towards and setting up a place where we can say, you're here for the right reasons. You're growing. We're all growing. You have space to fail. And if you do, or you're going to have some choices, as do I, I get those choices. So if I don't quite nail it, we're there for you. We're going to walk this with you. So that, and that to me, is that's what growth is. That's what developmental stuff is. 
And I think Loma's set up pretty well to do yeah. that. And and there's that sh uh, yet another shift there. Um, that w that's what we're talking about is this the move away from what you guys remember the community living covenant uh, that we all we all uh, came up under the the um, regime of that and moving towards this growth plan model. And it, you know it is sort of funny to see now when students are like, man, I got growth planned. <laughs> on something and I'm like yeah back 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 when we were students it was you just got booted out of the place that's the, <laughs> oh man I got growth plan mm -hmm. yeah well lucky you <laughs> yeah no bummer now you have to go hang out with Chip Pickin or or Kaylee Hofer for you know a few sessions and yeah. get some get some loving on you so yeah <laughs> yeah Read a book. yeah which is yeah that's an interesting piece to see and 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 that that's a it's an indication of the university's um uh desire to trust to risk yes and real quick i wanted to say i've been in a lot of those growth plans with students and they they they're fulfilling their purpose in my in my opinion you know they're they're doing what they're supposed to do and a student walks out of there feeling like okay i didn't do that so well but i i, I got a new horizon in front yeah. of me let's go and then they have a choice yeah. to do that yeah, certainly so. I prefer hanging out with Emilio or Jong under different circumstances, but uh, but <laughs> it's it's it's, pretty, right. it's a it's a it's a this sort of grace-filled idea that that we all um, are in this together, and that this place in particular is is in this together. So, um, I'm curious. So we, we've kind of talked a little bit about how we we are here now today. Is there anything in particular you notice today? Like what if you tie those pieces together? What is what is still true and has always been true about our Point Loma students since you began interacting with this place? Yeah, I mean, I think it's there. And as as Tim earlier on, you talked about, you know, uh, the the fact that whatever generation is a <laughs> we're human, um, and I th I think within that certainly for me as a student, and then for when I first came as a staffer, and then right now as I sit here, um, one of, I mean, just the, the basic commonalities is this desire that you see in all of us to, to feel like we're loved and that we belong somewhere. And um, I think uh, I've, I've seen that be f fleshed out differently. Um, I, I, th I think as I think about it right now, I mean, one of the things, uh, this is uh, a place to go here, Scott, but over my 10 years here, um, I've, I've seen in our current students, maybe from, from 10 years ago, I've seen a much more kind of- 15, right? F yeah, 15, yeah, you're right. A much more uh, awareness of what's going on globally, you know, and uh, not just an awareness of it, but a, a sense of like um, desire to to care well in those things and to be responsible yeah, in those things and be par a participant. Um, I, I'm more I've since coming in '05. I think I've seen students with much more of a sense of like I want to make a difference. I want I I need to raise my voice. There's a there's a, a responsibility in doing that um and uh yeah I've, I've really noticed that it's it's um i think uh too much often is is laid at the feet of well technology's made all the changes 
Um, and it's oftentimes really unfairly blamed for everything that's kind of wrong when, when we think about increased levels of anxiety and depression. And it's silly to pin it all on that thing. And yet it's also a significant thing that I've noticed over the years too. I mean, coming in 05, I mean, we see Facebook started 04 at Harvard University. So it wasn't wasn't on the radar as, as a kind of a social network. YouTube started in 2005, I think, you know, but I mean, just the students that were here when I started as a staffer um, were, you know, that, that being loved and belonging um, was f- was found kind of had to be found almost exclusively in face-to-face relationships. And uh, I've noticed the, the challenge over the years of, um, uh, of how technology has both brought us together, but also separated us. Um, and uh, it's impossible, I mean, for me as well to notice how easy it is to be in a room, whether it's the cafeteria last year, and see how few people, um, how many of those people were actually together and how many of them were actually just in the same physical location but were lost in com- and involved in completely different worlds. Tim, you, you would say, I mean, from your perspective especially, as you've now gone full, mostly into um, freshman psychology courses, is that something you're interacting with significantly as well? 100%, absolutely. Um, the productivity of where these students want to live and across T's and dot I's, um, the pressure on them to succeed. Um, and some of it's self-inflicted, but some of it's we inflicted on them, you know. Um, but but George nailed it. I mean, that there's so much of that that comes in with them and there's different um, components of, of what they have access to, you know, to be able to and, and to feel like they got to master all of it. And even even sometimes I feel we do them a disservice when we say um, you have to come in and find this major so that you can go out and change the world. And I think that's there's some beauty to that. But um, sometimes it's the person that you'll never read about or hear about that is changing the world in a small way. Um, and and the fact that we even can have the blessing of having a conversation where we can have a job description someday that may pa- cross over our passion when so many students around the world will never have that opportunity. And so I think it's, a, it's, a, it's twofold. It's like, okay, how do we fit globally here and, and live out of um, a global perspective of understanding that not everybody has the right to have that conversation um, of I'm going to do what I want to do because I feel like that's what I'm called to do. And I think that's fine. I think that's fine. But sometimes we put pressure on that so much that they feel like they have to find that one thing that they've got to do and be productive in it to be worthwhile as opposed to find your major, go for it. But, re- but probably most of the stuff you do 25, 30 years from now when you look back, you're going to say, I never thought I would do that. I never had any idea I would do that. And so it's try- find, trying to balance between take these highly intelligent kids, students, put them in positions to where they can continue that cutting edge, but also trying to help them realize that how do we balance this to say, uh, let's just let the valve open so it can let some pressure out. And and even I see it in their faith. Kids talk to students, talk to me about, I'm not, I say, how are you doing in your walk? I'm not, I'm not good. Well, explain that to me. 
I've got to get all these boxes yeah, checked. Yeah, got to get all this. I, this stuff's all deconstructed. And I yeah. have to put it all back together neatly so that yeah, it's almost like so productivity. That I can arrive and be fine yeah. for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I feel one of the one of the gifts anyone in any of our age brackets um, can offer to anyone younger than us is the reality that um, our checklist is not done, and we have I have zero sense right now. Uh, at my age, that I've arrived anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I with my think, wife. I don't think any no. of us are doing the thing. Maybe no. some of us are no. doing things that we've once thought that would be amazing if I got a chance. Mm-hmm. But we are none of us are doing yeah. the things we truly thought we would end up working doing. through questions, yeah. feeling pressure, um, yeah. working yeah. through doubts. I mean, yeah. that this is this is part of human life. Yeah. Human, yeah. I think even as a even as a millennial, I thought, man, by the time I was done here, moving on into into uh, career life. Oh, this this old myth of I need to be do I need to know my thirty five year career by the time I graduate and be in it for thirty five years, uh, yeah. and do that. And if I'm not doing that, I'm unsuccessful. Well, we were moving into an information age that was showing us no. Actually, you're going to have many jobs yeah. across your career. And then coming back, you know, just two years ago and interacting with most of my seniors and hearing no, actually that myth is still alive and well, and they all are feeling that. And when I tell them, actually, you know. Companies, groups, organizations, they're looking for a range of experience and getting a few yeah. years doing something and then a few years doing something else is not only not yeah. detrimental, it's potentially um, a great way to become rounded in this. So there's a yeah. Yeah, a bit of maybe hope there to yeah. our, li- our, our students that might be listening that that's true. And I, I think, Scott, what you're saying, too, is like to have direction. Yeah. Totally. This is important. It's not I'm not trying to say that it's not important to have a direction and listen to what that heart is and those gifts in you and how could that cross over with a vocate or a job or something someday but but to take take the pressure off to say I, I don't I have to be a certain thing yeah and some of the um some of the as we talk about kind of overwhelming things that feel like they overwhelm us that we get paralyzed by them and you know the basic thing of like well what's the first step here what's what's those small steps I, I feel even to jump back back to a time my time as a student so ignorant you know about what was going on in the world so ignorant about a lot of of systems that were at play um uh and so just we were just able to just jump in with you know whether it was like downtime we go and do a you know homeless outreach we go out um and now i'm aware so much more about the systems that are at play that that have people move into kind of all the different layers and levels of of homelessness and and yet still being involved in, in a small step is, is something. It's formational. But I feel at times like, well, there's like there's such massive systems here. How do I kind of deal with the system? And the answer is like, we've, we've got to deal with the system. Um, but at times we're so focused on the massive system that we actually don't do anything. We're completely immobilized. We're paralyzed. We've got all this information, but it's like, what what can I actually do right now, just with one step, um, that moves us into like um, we we want to kind of be at the, the the big level instantly, and it, it does. I do I do see it paralyze people. You know, mm-hmm. we all we all maybe Absolutely. think we're the president or we're supposed to be, but in fact, none of us are, and so and so that dissonance yeah. Yeah. just eats at us if we if we don't find a way a way forward or to escape it. So maybe I'm curious, I mean, uh, you know, I thought I'd ask about the where you see Point Loma Culture going in the next bit, but maybe a better question is, what have you seen to be some healthy 
um, practices or a healthy way to to deal with this, the, the anxiety and the, the intensity? Yeah, I'll, I'll, ju- I'll jump in. Um, I think one of the phrases I've heard um, the last five years talked uh, about among students and in, in our kind of camp- campus culture is a, a recovery of wonder. And, um, you know, I just, just got back from Yosemite a few weeks ago and so was learning about John Muir and uh, this guy from the, the 1800s who, in, you know, in an, in an era as well that he was in the Industrial Revolution, like rapid pace growth in technology. The world was changing so fast, kind of inner city, you know, this rush to inner city living. Um, and, uh, you know, his wrestling with his own faith background as well. But I was kind of like, man, this is, he's kind of, <laughs> there's a bit of representative here of the world we live in now. And um, and he just kept pushing, get back out in nature. You know, get back out in, in places where, um, in fact, you know, there's a little, um, actually, I wrote this down, a little prayer from a devotional app I uh, do. And um, was it came across this prayer the other day, um, and it said, "May God's image in you be restored, and your imagination in God be restoried. May the gravity of material things be lightened, and the relativity of time slow down. And may you know grace to embrace your own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness." And for me, that's a place of not. Um, check out and everything, stop engaging in it, but a place of going, if you're going to engage with it in healthy ways that are lasting ways and really do work and really be engaged in meaningful, productive work, I think there's this lovely recovery of the realization we also got to find like rest and Sabbath and rejuvenation and uh, and find places to do that. And um, I, I've seen, I think the last several years a lot of my students have this hunger to be back out in the wild to be back out in nature to be back out in places of quiet and stillness where um, they get to think and uh, but also they get to rest in their smallness um, um, and their finiteness and uh, and realize that they're part of a massive kingdom work um, that they don't need to solve everything and and know everything, um, but find their their part within it. And so I think one of the hopeful things that I've seen is um, maybe retreat and Sabbath, um, a, a more of a discipline among some of my student leaders the last few years. Um, to to I saw a bunch of them moving back to um, Nokia flip top phones, which suck to text on, um, but a place of. I just, I want to be present with what's going on. And I feel so overwhelmed that and a recognition that in their, in, in their feeling of being overwhelmed, that they're actually immobilized and paralyzed and we're doing nothing. And a place to, to step back, uh, be in a place of wonder and awe. Um, remember their smallness in the, the greatness of God's story. Uh, and then be able to go back and, and re-engage in really meaningful, vibrant ways 
in um, in the work that needs to be done of of justice in our world and and things that these our students are passionate about and gifted in and so yeah the hopeful thing for me um, is seeing people find ways to to move beyond feeling paralyzed and overwhelmed um, and I think some of that I've noticed is being back out in in nature in an earth that is is full of the glory and grandeur of God. Yeah, definitely. And maybe even at least a, a Sabbath from your devices or or something like something along those lines to help you even just reconnect with each other in a in a deeper way. Yeah. Um yeah, that's that's I think that's not just true. I think our students actually in this generation actually they they somewhat know that. Like you said, they're getting those flip phones. They they sense it even without, you know, uh, Jonathan Haid or, or other, you know, experts or psychologists telling them, but they they sense it. This yeah, is good. Tim, this you were saying good. the other day, perhaps, I think it was you were saying it to me, but perhaps the people that don't get, <laughs> don't get it the most are people in their 50s and yeah. 60s yeah. Um, who aren't really seeing the, 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 the kind of damage or baggage that's being brought with constantly being attached to it. Yeah. So loving to see young people, our students just... Um, go out and have some adventure yeah. and some laughter. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. Tim, I know you, you agree with all that. Anything you want to add on, on the practices? It, it's, it's, it's so well said um, by you and George. This is cliché-ic, but if clichés are true, I've always said we use them. You know? um, it's, it's we, are, we live in a, in a place where even at, at Loma, where you are rewarded by, once again, productivity. And so that's what seemingly carries the value. And so we put ourselves sometimes in positions, to, yeah, and to seek it. And if we're not careful, I think we do exactly what George is saying we're trying to get away from, to realize that that, that prayer you read, it was, I'm finite, that puts me in a pretty humbling position when I think about that. And if I climb into the infinite arms of God and find a way to allow that relationship to play itself out, and I'm okay with that, even if it doesn't fit with the productivity of culture, that doesn't mean we're seeking to be lazy. We're still going to be working as unto the Lord. But yet somehow emotionally, spiritually, psychologically taking off the edge of having to um, perform, and so I think I think that's understanding. You know that prayer is brilliant, and just understanding that as best we can, swallowing it and saying, "Okay, help me to live that." I can still be productive doing my thing, but that's not the that's not the main um, driving force. It's to just um, settle in, you know. So, Sabbath, nature, rest. And I've had students tell me since yeah. Sabbath, you bring that word up. I've had students tell me, you know, Hall, I went out surfing today and I didn't even care if I yeah. got a wave. I just Sabbath. sat there and I enjoyed it. And that was my peace. And I was like, and they're hammocking. <laughs> yeah. They're doing stuff in the middle of the craziness, you know. So, yeah, when you say that, uh, finding that inner slowdown. And how do you do that when you tell them you got to be awake 25 hours a day, eight days a week, performing, crossing T's, dot and I's, 
and then we say, go have some Sabbath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? But it's so they find ways. There's deep truth in it. Enjoying well, our creatureliness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, with with what do we have? Fifty something years of combined peeling new experience here between you guys. Um, grateful for that. Grateful for how you've always been faithful to our students throughout that time and and to the mission of this place um, to do exactly this, to encourage them and um, and and help root them in who they are and who we are together um, as a culture, as a community at Point Loma. So thank you guys so much for for that, for being here and sharing, sharing from your heart. Um, Okay, as we as we wrap up here, a few rapid fire questions, uh, just to to get everyone familiar with what you've been up to. First off, uh, George, what have you been reading lately? Uh, I have uh, grateful to work in an office that keeps encouraging us to read. So, "Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk" by Eugene Cho is one that I'm making my way through. I'm rereading with my w- wife; it's the first time she's reading it. Um, by uh, Beverly Daniel Tatum, Why Do All the Black Kids Sit Together in the Cafeteria? And I am doing an audiobook of, of uh, a biography of John Muir. Okay, yeah. Uh, the great Scottish nice. American. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, li- don't, yeah. Don't tell him that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Liliana Risa recommended Thou Shall Not Be a Jerk, and I, it's, it's, on my, it's on my list. Um, well, you answered question two of what you're listening to. Um, who who in your life made an impact on you in the last week or two? Gosh, I was in a, a Zoom meeting yesterday with uh, two of our students we're working real closely with, Will Allen and Liv Missouria, and uh, I think it's just their, their joy and um, their deep gift of encouragement to us as staff people. Um, they just deeply encouraging uh, and expressing gratitude for the work we're doing. And so made an impact to see their vibrancy uh, yesterday and to be encouraged um, by my own students. Yeah, and they're sharing that broadly with the community too. So thank you, Will and Liv. Um, Tim, what are you reading? Well, there's a couple things. Um, there's a book called Americana. Her name is, uh, I don't want to... Um, I'm going to try to get this name right. Chimimanda Adichie. Awesome. And who made an impact on you in the last week or two? Well, I, you know, we started this online thing again. You guys heard that For we're classes, online? Yes. You, did you guys know that? <laughs> <laughs> so I love the students. Um, amazing young people. Uh, they're just, um, you know, I, I haven't met them personally, a lot of them that are in my freshman classes, but some of the things they say. And so I, I have got to give a shout out to the students and what they say on those Zoom calls and, and the, little, the little nuances they write in their, their Canvas entries and stuff. But there's a, there's a specific young lady um, on campus um, who um, inspires me. Uh, her name's uh, Jessie Dolan. Um, she's in my class her freshman year, and she lost her father. Um, he died, passed away of Lou Gehrig's. And watching her suffer... But watching her get stuck in and go through go th- go through her grief, into the relationship that's been built with my wife and myself and her uh, over this last three years or so uh, that she's been walking that journey has been highly inspirational. Awesome. And so, so I just yeah, we've we love her and she's and I could share many others, but that one comes to mind right now. Great. 
Well, thank you. Thank you both. Uh, and, uh, yeah, this has just been a pleasure to get to, to hang out with you guys and, and hear your hearts. Uh, uh, stick with us next week. We will be exploring some of the things we talked about today, the vocation pieces and how we know and can identify those things the Lord has made us well to do and then stepping into them with our very own executive director of the Office of Strengths and Vocations, Rebecca Smith, who is incredible. Uh, you're going to want to come back next week. But this has been Point Blank with George Williamson and Tim Hall. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Scott. Thanks. George. Thanks. You guys are great. Scotty, thanks, buddy. We were right up. That's going to be a massive edit job for Alex. <laughs> Thanks, man.